All right, well, if you have your Bible, while everybody gets situated, you can turn to Acts chapter 12. Uh, We are again, uh, third week in a row, we're going to go through the entire chapter. Um, This week, uh, this week I I was doing a lot of reading, um, and I was, the topic I was reading on this week is prayer. Uh, I went through a, uh, I went through a 40-day devotional book this week. So I went through 40 days in, in about three days. It was uh, a great book. I was actually listening to it on audio while I walked the dog, so that's kind of um, kind of my trick. Um, and as a result of that, as, as some of the things that I was learning, some of the things that God was impressing on me, today, a big announcement, today is actually going to be our last message in the book of Acts until September. We're going to take, um, I, I, next Sunday, I will, my wife and I will be on a trip together. Uh, we are celebrating our 14th wedding anniversary uh, at the end of the month, July 31st, uh, it happens to fall on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. So uh, we're not actually going to be on the trip on our anniversary, but we are taking a trip to go celebrate our anniversary. Uh, so I will not be here. Eric, uh, one of our deacons, is uh, preaching next Sunday morning. Uh, Bill will be preaching next Sunday night. Um, but when I come back, we're going to uh, we're going to spend all of August um, taking a look at what the Bible says about prayer the importance of prayer, and, and just the, the power of prayer. Because I, I, I think we, we've all seen that since we started praying in, praying in earnest for the block party, God's blown some stuff up. All right? he, I mean, he has blown my mind with, with the things uh, that he's doing. Um, so we're going to spend August studying what, what the Scripture says about prayer, uh, leading into something that I will tell you that we're going to do uh, September, part of October. But I'll tell you about that. Um, when, when I get back. So um, for those of you that are like, oh, we've been in Acts for too long. We're taking a little break. September, September 2nd, I think it is. We'll, we'll jump back in. Uh, this is a good place for us to stop, and you'll see why here uh, in just a moment. But Acts chapter 12 is, is where we're going to be. Um, just to give you a, a recap, uh, if you've been here with us, you know all of this, but just a, a recap of what's happening. The book of Acts is the, the history of how the early church got started. And it started off in this big, dramatic way with the Holy Spirit coming down. Uh, Peter and the other uh, apostles and a group of people were up praying, and the Holy Spirit came down, and, and things went crazy, and they, they started sharing the gospel with the Jews uh, there in Jerusalem. And a, a whole slew of people got saved, like 5,000 people in one day. Uh, people were getting saved left and right. They were getting baptized. They are adding to the church. And then a little while later, uh, the, the gospel spread to the Samaritans down the road. Uh, and Philip went down to Samaria after some persecution was taking place. And, and the, the Holy Spirit came to the Samaritans. And so the Samaritans started getting saved and the gospel spreading everywhere. And then and, uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the gospel going to the Gentiles with Peter going to Cornelius and presenting the gospel to him. And while he, in the midst of while he was... Uh, while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit came down. Peter didn't even get to finish his message. Right in the middle of it, the Holy Spirit came down. Uh, the, the, the Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, began to get saved. And uh, things are just going gangbusters. Um, and now in chapter 12, we kind of, uh, we, we kind of come to a, a little bit of a dark period uh, as we're going to see what's happening here. So uh, I'm going to read a verse. This is actually the verse that, uh, that um, Bill read for us as our call to worship. Um, this was written by Peter, who is going to be the, the main character in the, in the portion of Scripture that we're going to look at right now. Um, and this, he, wrote, he wrote a letter to uh, uh, churches later on down the road. 
Uh, and in some of the things that I was studying, they said that this event that we're going to look at this morning was probably what he had in mind when he wrote this passage of scripture. So it says this, because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Let's pray and then we'll jump into this. Father God, I ask that you'd be with our time, Lord. I'd ask that um, you would open our minds and open our hearts to, to what the, the scripture says and what the Holy Spirit is impressing on us. Lord, help us to be different people as a result. Lord, help us to not just be here to hear uh, a good story from the scripture, an exciting story, but that our lives would be uh, radically changed as a result of us being here today. Lord, I ask that you would help me to get out of the way and that only the scripture and, and what your uh, spirit would have us, uh, have us here today would be what we walk away with. We ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. Now this, uh, this, uh, port, or this message I entitled, A Miraculous Prison Escape. Okay, and if you've read Acts chapter 12, you know some crazy stuff is about to go down. So um, we're going to break this up into three parts. And the first part being, God knows our trials. Acts chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, I'm going to read this. I'm not going to read the entire chapter for sake of time. Um, but Acts 12, 1 through 4 says this, About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. And he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So this is what's happening. Um, as, as we know, the, the church at Jerusalem was no stranger to persecution. As the church was, as the church was growing and people were joining the church, um, the Jewish, the Jewish religious leaders, they weren't having any of it because as people were turning away from uh, their teachings, it was threatening their power, it was threatening their livelihood. And so they were constantly trying to break up the church, bust up the church, uh, throw people into prison, all of those things. Um, and God put an end to this first persecution because uh, Saul, who was the most ardent persecutor, he was the one that was leading the charge, so to speak, well, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and completely changed his life. And so for a time, as we saw, there was peace in the church. Now, this has been going on for about 10, 11 years. And there's a, a new guy on the, on, the, on the scene. and His name is King Herod. And King Herod was a monster. I mean, he was, he was not a nice guy. And so he decided to bring in a whole new type of persecution. He was a pretty shrewd politician as well. So he would do anything that he thought might, um, might make the people uh, be on his side. I mean, like I said, I mean, this guy was a monster. He was passing executive orders to take away parking spaces and offices, and he was doing all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I went there, I went there. All right, you know, he was doing all of these things, and one of the things that he did was he decided to go against the church. And the Bible tells us that he went violently against the church. So he ordered his soldiers to go in and start busting up church meetings, uh, arresting people. And he grabbed James and had him executed. Basically, uh, had him, uh, the Bible doesn't say, but had him beheaded with a sword. And when he saw that that pleased uh, the people, he's like, yeah, you guys like that? Let me get some more. And so he went and arrested Peter. Now, this, um, 
this, this guy James, when Jesus was on earth, he had 12 disciples. He had 12, uh, 12 guys that followed him uh, all around. Their names are, there's too many of them for me to name. There's 12 of them. Um, but of those 12, he had three that were very special to him that he really poured into. One of them was Peter. The other was a guy named John. And at the beginning of Acts, we always see Peter and John together. And John had a brother named James. And since they were all three together, you have to imagine that they were very, very tight. They were a, a, a close-knit group of people. And so imagine the devastation that Peter must have felt to have his best friend killed by King Herod. All right? And, and we're, what we're going to see is because of the response, we know that, that James, even though this is the only time he's mentioned in the entire book of Acts, he must have been doing some powerful things for the church because the Jewish leaders got really excited that this guy was dead. They were, they were excited uh, that, that, he was, uh, that he was dead because now there was one last person that was going to be able to spread this, this awful message that, that he was doing. Now, because, like I said, because the death of James pleased the Jews so much, King Herod went and grabbed Peter right in the middle of Passover and threw him in prison, planning that once the festival was over, the, the festival of unleavened bread was over, he was going to bring him out and have him publicly executed as well. Now, it looks like God has lost control in this situation. I mean, things are spinning out of control. Church meetings are getting busted up. The leaders are getting beaten. Some of them are getting killed. It looks like God is no longer in control. But even in situations like this, we can trust that God is still in control. God is still working things in such a way as to bring glory to himself. No matter how difficult our trials may be, and no matter how disappointing the news that we get is, and I think we've all been there, we've all gotten devastating news. Uh, Tina shared not too long ago, um, I'm gonna say she and I, and I, and I think she might be watching, um, she and I went through a, a, a health crisis where um, we thought she had a very uh, rare and very aggressive form of breast cancer. It was scary. I mean, it was, it was some of the most devastating weeks uh, of our marriage trying to walk through this. But throughout that whole thing, we knew that God was in control. That no matter how scary it seemed and no matter how disappointing the news was, God was still there with us. We can trust that God is working things out for his glory and he's working them out for our good. His ways are not our ways. When God does something, it doesn't always match up with the way that we would do it. But you know why? He's God. God does things differently than we would. Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God who are called according to his purpose. All right? It doesn't say everything's going to be good, but it says everything works out for our good. And Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as, high, for as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And a verse that I think all of us have rested in at one point Psalm 23, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You, for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So God knows, God knows our trials. He knows the things that we're walking through. The second thing is, God hears our prayers. 
And I think that that's something that we don't always rest in. But God hears our prayers. And uh, continuing in Acts 12, beginning in verse 5 down through 17, uh, we're going to see what was the church's response to James being killed and Peter being thrown into uh, prison. Let me read verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Let me say that again. The church was praying fervently to God for him. What was the response of the church to this happening? They began to pray. Now, they didn't just say, Lord, please get Peter out of prison. The word fervently there means stretched out. This was something that took place and happened over an extended period of time. It it not only uh, refers to... um, a period of time, but it also refers to their body position. They were laid out, they were bowed down on their faces before God, begging God to deliver their brother Peter from what was going to happen. They knew that there was absolutely nothing that they could do in their own power to rescue Peter, so they took it to God. And sometimes there are things that God calls us to do, and I may be jumping ahead of my notes um, here. There are sometimes God calls us to do things that are beyond us, right? We had a meeting, and and I've shared this story before. We had a meeting back here uh, several months ago about the block party, all right? And and it it, it still makes me chuckle. Um, When when Diana asked me, she said, how many people are you imagining here? I said, I want 150. Every jaw in the room went, bam, you heard him hit the table. I was like, God has called us to do 150 people. Can we do that on our own? We're a church of maybe 45. Can we get 150 people? Not on our own, but God can do it. And I fully believe that God is going to pack this place out with 150 people. It's a sad reality that many of us don't put as much faith in prayer as we should. Prayer is an area of my own life that I'm working on. That's why I'm reading so much about it and studying it. And I'm trying to grow in this area because I want to see God move mountains. And I want to see God do miracles. And I've under, I'm coming to understand that the only way God moves mountains and God does miracles is when we're on our face before him, asking him to do those things. The church was praying specifically for Peter to be rescued. And it was the whole church. Okay, It wasn't just a few people. Here, here's what I mean. Sunday morning, we'll have a big crowd. And churches across the, the county and across the state will have big crowds this morning. But if the pastor says, hey, tonight we're going to have a time of prayer, there might be one-tenth of that crowd that shows up for that time of prayer. Because we don't put as much emphasis on prayer and as much faith on prayer as we should. Right? If we truly want to see God do amazing things through us, We have to pray. Prayer is our tool and it's our weapon, right? As we battle spiritual darkness and and from talking to some of my friends at the West Virginia Southern Baptist, West Virginia is a dark place spiritually, right? There are the majority of the counties are over 85 to 90% unchurched. If you, if you look at the statistics, the, the people who have a church home based on how many people are in, this, are in, in that, that particular county, the vast majority of people are not attending a church somewhere. If we want to see that change, you know what, it takes, what it's going to take to do that? We're going to need to start praying. While we don't know how long Peter was in prison, we do know that he was treated as a high-priority prisoner. 
Okay, all right. The, the Bible tells us that when, when Herod put him in prison, he put four squads of four soldiers. He put 16 guys to guard this one guy. And it was probably because Herod had heard stories of every time Peter gets thrown into prison, somehow he miraculously ends up back in the temple. And nobody can explain how he got from the jail cell to the temple. And so Herod wasn't, he wasn't uh, messing around this time. He said, look, I am going to make sure that he takes place, that, that he stays where he's supposed to be. And Peter, for his part, he wasn't worried. Do you know how I know he wasn't worried? Because the Bible tells us on the night before his execution, Peter is chained to two guards. And what's he doing? He's fast asleep. Like, I mean, the dude is stone cold, knocked out based on uh, what we're going to see here. All right. It's very likely that Peter, Peter was trusting God, but he also knew that there was nothing that Herod could do to him. And the reason being is Jesus had already told Peter what the end of his life was going to look like. In, um, in John chapter 21, 18 and 19, it says this. Truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, Peter's not old. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. Peter knew there was nothing that Herod could do to him because God had already told him how he was going to be used. He had nothing to worry about from Herod because he knew exactly what God was going to use him for. Um, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10 says this, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Peter was resting in that promise. Now, at this point, beginning in Acts chapter 12, verse 7, Peter, excuse me, Peter is visited by an angel of the Lord. The, the, the scripture, uh, the, the Greek uses the word angelos, which uh, translates into the word messenger. And because it says messenger, and that word has been used other times to talk about a human, there is actually some controversy over this passage that, that says that the reason Peter was able to get out of prison was because some of the members of the church had come and bribed the prison guards and said, hey, look, we got some money. You let our boy out and we will, we, we, we'll give you this money and, and everything will be good. All right? As we read through this passage here, we're going to see that that's not how it went down. Okay? Um, it, it says here, let me read beginning in verse 7. It says, Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrist. Now, I've never been to prison. Okay, I'm just, just throwing it out there. You guys didn't ask that when, when you interviewed me. But I, I've never been to prison, so therefore I've never escaped from prison. I did watch that TV show, though. Right, about these guys, some dude came into prison, tattooed all up with the, the, the plans about how to get out of jail. I don't know how they got past the guards. But um, anyway... When they finally escaped, you know what they did? They went out real quiet. Right? They tried to be as sneaky and quiet as possible. If you're going to bust somebody out of prison, you don't go in and turn on all the lights and yell at the dude, hey, get up off the ground. You try to do, if, this, if they were trying to bust him out of jail, they were going about it the wrong way. But Peter's fast asleep and this angel comes in and says, dude, you need to get up. It's time to go. And he's so asleep that the angel actually has to 
kick him with his foot to get him to wake up. I don't know if you've ever had somebody that fast asleep where you're like violently shaking them to try to get them awake. It's like um, small children. Small children will stay awake for the longest time and then just instantly be like this. Like they'll even be mid-sentence or mid-chew or whatever. They'll just... And they're gone, right? There, there's no getting... I mean, you can, you can pick them up. You can toss them in the air. You, I've, I've never done that. All right. I know Tina's watching, so... Uh, but nothing will wake them up except for maybe a candy wrapper. You, know, you open a candy wrapper, boom, there are candy, right? So he, th- this is what was going on. And not knowing, Peter kind of half awoke, and, and not knowing what was going on, the angel's giving him all these directions. He says, look, get up, put your shoes on, put your clothes on, tie your cloak around you, let's go. Not knowing if this is a vision or if it's the real thing, Peter was obedient. Peter decided to listen. He was probably still kicking himself over that last vision that God had to show him three times in order to get him to, to listen. So he wasn't taking any chances. Um, the, the, guard, or the angel took off the chains, got him dressed, got him everything, walked him past all of the prison guards, out the front gate of the, of the prison, took him down the street, and at that point disappeared. And Peter went, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the real thing. I'm pretty sure th- this is happening. Um, He had been rescued from prison once again through a miracle. And in his obedience to God's messenger, by listening to put on your shoes, put on your clothes, all of those things, Peter demonstrated an important point about prayer and faith. We need to have faith for the things that we're asking God to do, but we also have to put feet to our faith. One guy that I listen to, or I read his books, and and, uh, I mentioned him last week, Mark Batterson, he's a pastor in Washington, D.C., Uh, He says this a lot. He says, we need to pray like it depends on God, but we need to work like it depends on us, right? If if all we do is pray, if all we do is is pray, but we don't put any effort into what we're trying to do, can we be really disappointed when it doesn't happen? We have to be willing to put feet to it. Had Peter not been obedient to God's messenger, he would still be sitting in prison, If he hadn't gotten up and followed, he would still be sitting in prison trying to figure out what in the world was going on. God oftentimes calls us to things that are scary and are designed to stretch our faith. We have to be willing to work for those things, knowing that they will only be possible because God has called us to it. Right? The 150 children that we're trying to give backpacks to. That's big and that's scary because the last thing we want to do is have spent all of that money to get school supplies and have three kids show up. Right? That's scary because it cost, I mean, it was a significant uh, investment that we put into it. Um, but God called us to it. And we know that because God called us to it, that if we work toward it, if we invite people and get the word out, guess what's going to happen? God's going to multiply our efforts and we're going to see that take place. Now, what happens next is both funny and actually a little bit sad. Peter, realizing that he's in danger standing there in the middle of the street, I mean, he just escaped. He's a high-priority prisoner. They don't just go, oh, Peter's gone again. All right, let's, let, you know, let's go get a sandwich. Right? Realizing he's in the middle of the street, he quickly goes to John Mark's house. He goes to the house of Mary, which is uh, the mother of John Mark. Uh, and when he gets there, this is where the church members have been fervently praying for him. They'd all gathered together in this house, probably secretly coming in, you know, groups of two, ducking in, doing all of that so that Herod's secret police couldn't, didn't know where they were. They were in there. That's where they were praying for him. Peter goes there and knocks on the door. 
And a servant girl named Rhoda, the, the scripture tells us her name is Rhoda, she goes to the door and Peter says, hey, it's me, let me in. And Rhoda gets so excited that she hears Peter that instead of opening the door, she runs back to the prayer meeting and goes, hey guys, guess what? Peter's standing at the door. Now, that's the funny part because, you know, she was so excited. She's like, oh, he's here, he's here. And then she forgets to let him in. The sad part is what happens with the church members. They look at her and they begin to mock her. And they go, oh, it's not really Peter. It's his guardian angel. It's, 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 Peter's not standing at the door. Peter's in prison. What did they just spend all of that time praying for? They spent all of that time praying for Peter to be delivered. And then when Peter was delivered, their faith wasn't strong enough to believe that God had actually answered their prayer. Wearsby wrote this, God could get Peter out of prison, but Peter couldn't get himself into a prayer meeting. He was trying. Now, the, the question is, you know, like I said, they, they had faith to pray to ask God to deliver him, but when their prayer was answered, they didn't have faith to believe it. Are we the same way? Do we pray and ask God for something? And then when he answers that prayer, what is our response? Do we begin to try to justify it through human means? Like, oh, well, well we could have taken care of that on our own. Or do we give God the glory for the fact that he answered our prayer like we asked him to? Finally, finally, having convinced them that it really was Peter, Peter tells those gathered how he had been delivered, and then he tells them, listen, I need you to take this message, and I need you to go tell James. Now, this isn't James, the one that had been executed. This is James, Jesus' half-brother. And we, we looked at them uh, a number of weeks ago on how uh, Jesus' brothers didn't quite believe that he was the Messiah until after his resurrection. Now, this James, he had become a leader in the church. And in the midst of everything that's going on, Peter says, hey, look, this is what God did for me. I want you to take this message, and I want you to go tell James about it. And the reason that he was doing this is because he knew that James was hurting. He knew that James, as one of the leaders of the church, was trying to guide the people that he was, in, he was responsible for through a very dark time. They were being beaten. They were being arrested. The people that they loved were being killed by the king. And so Peter said, I need you to go talk to James. I need you to encourage him. He's going to need this. He's going to need to hear this. And then after he did that, Peter went somewhere and didn't tell anybody where he was going. As I was reading and studying, what I think happened was Peter realized that all of his time of getting thrown in jail was probably wreaking havoc on his wife. So he grabbed his wife and they went someplace. They, they, I don't want to say they went on vacation, but he realized that he was doing, uh, he, the way that he was living and the things that God was calling him to was probably wreaking havoc on his wife. And I got to tell you, there are times where I have to step back because I know that, that the things that, that I'm praying for and trying to do, oftentimes they, uh, they, they're having struggles with Tina as she tries to keep up with me. I know you guys sometimes struggle to keep up with me. Imagine what, what, what Tina feels sometimes. And so he departs. And this is actually the last time that Peter plays a major role in the book of Acts. We're going to see him again briefly in Acts 15 when we get there in a couple weeks. Um, but at this point, the focus of the book, what Luke is writing, shifts from Peter to Paul. Now, Warren Wearsby wrote this, God graciously honors even the weakest faith, but how much more 
how much more he would do if only we would trust him. The Gospels are full of Jesus telling his disciples that if they have faith, their prayers will be answered. We must ask God to work, but we must be willing to work when it is within our power to do so. And we must trust that God is going to answer our prayers. Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark 11:24. Jesus said this, Therefore I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. God hears our prayers when we come before him. Now, the third part of this um, is God handles our problems. And at this point, the, the narrative here in Acts chapter 12, it shifts away from the church and it goes to King Herod. And we're going to see, um, we're going to see that King Herod, I told you earlier that he truly was a monster. We're gonna, I'm going to show you why he truly is a monster. And it has absolutely nothing to do with office spaces or uh, parking, parking spots. Um, but the next morning, Herod gets up. He's like, yeah, today's the day, man. We're going to show him. All right, go get Peter. Go get Peter. Bring Peter out. We're going we're gonna to have some fun. And they, they go down to the prison. And guess who's not in the prison? Peter's not in the prison. And they're searching all over, trying to figure out what in the world happened. How is Peter not in the prison? I had 16 guards on him. And when, it did, when, they, when, when Herod found out that Peter wasn't there, he gathered the 16 guards and got them together. Now, the Roman law said that if you are responsible for guarding a prisoner and that prisoner escapes, whatever the punishment that was going to be dealt to that prisoner you are the one who stands responsible for it. Now, Peter's sentence was to be executed. And King Herod said, well, I don't have Peter to execute, so guess what I'm going to do? And he had all 16 soldiers executed. He was actually outside of Roman jurisdiction. He didn't have to do it. But because King Herod was such a monster, he said, well, I don't have one person to kill. I guess I'm going to kill you all. And he had those 16 guards executed because of that. Now, after this happened, uh, King Herod, he leaves, uh, he leaves Jerusalem, and he goes down to Caesarea. And while he's in Caesarea, he gets into a conflict with, uh, with two countries named Tyre and Sidon. And the, 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 the way that it's written, um, it, it seems to be that, um, that King Herod became angry at them without justification. Like he, I, somebody may have said, said a crossword, and he took to Twitter and let him know what, what he thought. And, you know, it, basically there was this big conflict that was going on. And the people of Tyre and Sidon, they got nervous because Tyre and Sidon depended upon King Herod's country as the place where they got their food. And the king was angry at them. There, 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 was no, there, there doesn't seem to be any justification. There's no indication as to what the, what the reason for his anger was, but it seemed to be that there was no justification for it. He was just mad. And he was threatening to cut off their food supplies. So they sent some representatives, and they, the, the representatives went, and they actually bribed one of King Herod's top officials, a guy named Blastus, which would be a great Pokemon name. Um, bribed Blastus. Blastus was in charge of... The, the king's bedroom. So he, he had very intimate contact with the king. He, he, you know, he was there to make sure that things were ready for the king as he got ready to go to bed. He was there in the morning as the king got up to make sure he was prepared. This guy had the king's ear. 
So they bribed him and said, listen, we need you to get the king to be on our side. Because if you don't, lots of people are going to die. We're going to run out of food. And, and so they, the Blastus was able to convince Herod that, yes, we need, to, we, need, we need to come to peace with them. And so Herod went to visit them. He put on his royal robes, as the scripture tells us, and he got up and he gave a speech. He got up and gave a speech. And the crowd, wanting to make sure that the king was on his side, or on their side, that, that, make sure that the king knew that they were loyal to him, began to say, wow, listen to this guy talk. That's not the voice of a man. That's the voice of a god. They're like, this guy is great. We, you know, Hail King Herod, hail King Herod. This is a god that we're listening to. And what, how, what the scripture tells us next, it says this, and this is kind of a, uh, the first time I read it, I had to read it a couple of times. It says, the assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a god and not of a man. At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. I mean, that's pretty graphic. That's, that, that's some horror movie stuff right there. But what, what, it, what, it, what it means is, in his mind, Herod began to believe the hype. He started to listen to these people chanting his name and saying how great he was. And he was going, yeah, I am pretty good, right? Look at me. I'm wearing these nice clothes. I gave this speech. People are cheering my name. He began to be filled up with pride. And it was at that point that said, okay, you know what? Your check is due. And an angel struck him. Now, if you read it, it almost sounds like a scene out of the movie Tremors. Like worms came up out of the ground and started eating this guy. But the actual, the Greek word, um, it, it indicates that the angel struck him and he, he, he developed an intestinal disease. And actually he was eaten from the inside out by parasitic worms. I mean, which, that sounds horrific, right? This was not, a, this was not a sl or an instant death. Like when I first read it, I'm like, wow, man, worms are coming out of the ground. Like, that, that would be crazy stuff, right? crazy town there. But instead, his insides were eaten by these parasitic worms, and he died. Now, if we, if we look at this, we go, wow, that's pretty dramatic, right? All he did was he, he gave a speech, and he got, he got a puffed head. But remember, this is not the first time that Herod had sinned against the Lord, right? Just in this story alone, we see that he's persecuting the church, that he was responsible for the murder of James, that he was attempting to murder, um, he was attempting to murder Peter. He had 16 guards executed, and now he was filled up with pride. And at this point, God said, you know what? I've given you time. I've given you opportunity. I'm sorry, but your time has run out. And that, that's when he was struck down. His sins had finally caught up to him. Proverbs 16, 18 says this, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. And I guess we can see that played out exactly in the life of King Herod. 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. If we look at King Herod, he had, if you look at him and you go, well, why wasn't King Herod punished right away? Why was he allowed to continue his wickedness? The reason is, is because we serve a gracious God. We serve a God who is, as, as Peter wrote here, we serve a God who is not willing that any should perish, that any should die in their sins. And God allowed Herod to continue to do these things 
giving him an opportunity to turn away from them. And when Herod finally, when Herod chose not to, God said, okay, your time is up. And that's, that's when he died. Um, you may be sitting here today, you may be watching us via Facebook, or you may be uh, listening later on on the podcast, and you may be wondering why your life is the way it is. And the reason that your life is going the way it is, it, it, and those things, is because God is giving you an opportunity to get right with him. God is not willing to let you die in your sins. He is allowing things to happen this way, to draw you to him. And eventually, I hate to say this, there comes a time where even God's patience runs out. There's going to be a time where you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account for all of your sins. And you're going to have to explain to him all of those times that he gave you where the gospel was presented and you had an opportunity to confess your sins and give your life to him knowing that he wants the best for you and you said no over and over again. You're going to have to stand before him and explain to him why that happened. That's exactly what King Herod had to do here. Now, I said this section is entitled, God Handles Our Problems. This certainly doesn't mean that everyone who is causing trouble is going to contract an intestinal disease. Okay? There, there, I'm sure there are some people that, that you, uh, you're probably going, man, I really wish they would get an intestinal disease. To which case, I'm going to say, check your heart. Check your heart, Gina. All right? That, that doesn't mean they're going to get their intestinal parasites. What it does mean is that God is in control of our circumstances, and it's up to God to handle those circumstances. You may be having problems at work. You may be having problems in your marriage. You may have a teenage son or daughter who is just driving you up the wall. But you need to trust that God is in control of all of those things, and that when you pray and ask him, he is hearing those prayers. And we may not be able to see it, but God is working behind the scenes to direct the path that's going to bring him the most glory and bring us the most good. They simply, the church did not, the church did not try to assassinate the king, right? They, they could have gotten some special, you know, uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish ninjas, the, uh, I forget what their special forces are called, Mossad, there we go. They could have gotten some early Mossad people to sneak in and, uh, you know, blast us and be like, blast us, let's go, right? They could have, uh, could have done that. But instead, they didn't seek vengeance against him. They waited on the Lord, and the Lord is the one who dealt with it. Our difficulties may not come in the form of a tyrannical king. I know some of you think we have a tyrannical king right now. Um, they may be financial or they may be medical. All right? Like I said, they may be difficulties in our marriage or problems with our children. I'm not trying to write us into the story. But what I am trying to do is pull out the principle is that God will handle our difficulties when we remain faithful to him. As long as we are living in light of what God wants us to do, he's going to take care of things. It may not be on our timing and it may not be the way that we would do it, but God will deal with our problems. Now, one final note before we close. In Acts 12.25, we are reunited with Saul and Barnabas. The last time we saw them, they were leaving the church at Antioch to go deliver some uh, relief funds uh, to the church in Judea. And now they were on their way to Jerusalem. And in doing so, they brought someone with them, a young guy named John Mark. We, that's whose house they were at. John Mark actually becomes a, uh, a companion of Peter's and is the one responsible for writing the Gospel of Mark that, that we read uh, as we read through the New Testament this month. This is the same Mark who would write the Gospel of Mark recounting the life of Christ. 
Now, when Acts 12 began, when we started our uh, study this morning, the church of Jesus Christ was in a bad place. Right? They, they were facing persecution. Their leaders were dead or imprisoned. And the evil king was sitting on the throne, gloating at all of the stuff that he was doing. As we come to the end of the chapter, we see that things have completely flip-flopped. All right? Acts chapter uh, 12, verse 24 says this, But the word of God flourished and multiplied. All right? What we have now, what we have now is, is we see that is God's word is continuing to flourish. It is continuing to go over. The church is growing. It is multiplying. People are going out and sharing the gospel. And where's the king who started all this problem? He's dead. He was eaten by worms, and now he's being eaten by worms. Right? That, I mean, that's kind of how it goes down. God was in control, and he was reigning supreme. And what was the secret weapon? What caused all of this to happen? The church was praying. The church was on their face before God, praying. When faced with an insurmountable obstacle or an impossible task, the church went to God with their request. The same should be said of you and me. Whether it's a problem in our personal life, a challenge that our family is facing, or an impossible task that the church has to overcome, the answer to all of these is the same thing. Prayer. Let me read a verse and then we'll pray. Matthew chapter 7, 7 through 8 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this story, Lord. I thank you for the time that we've, uh, we've spent in the book of Acts this, this past seven months, Lord. And I, I ask that our, our time as we've been uh, studying the, the early church has been profitable, Lord. That we are more like your son as a result. And Father, I thank you for the example of the church. That when faced with an impossible, impossible situation, the, the imprisonment of one of their, uh, one of their uh, beloved leaders, that the church did the right thing. They went before you in prayer. And Lord, I, I ask that the same would be said for each one of us as individuals and for us as a corporate church, that when, when we are faced with things that seem impossible, or even things that seem mundane, that our first response is to go to you in prayer. That our first response is to give it to you knowing that you are in control of all of the circumstances, regardless of whether they're good circumstances or bad circumstances. You are in control and you are working them out to bring your name glory and to bring good for us. And so, Father, I ask that that would be, be true of us, that we would truly become a people of prayer and that we would see mountains moved and miracles performed because we are trusting you through our prayer. And Lord, help us also to be a people of action, that we don't just say we're praying for something, but that, with it, with, that when it is within our ability, that we are working to, to see it done. Lord, I also ask that, as with King Herod, there may be some people hearing my voice, whether, again, sitting here in the, uh, in the auditorium or listening via one of the, uh, uh, the audiovisual me methods, Lord, that um, has turned away from you time and time again. Much like we saw with King Herod, Lord, I, I pray that they know that, that eventually that you are a long-suffering God, that you, you will give them opportunity after opportunity, but eventually those opportunities will cease. So, Father, if there is someone who needs to give their life to you, who needs to stop running and stop making excuses and stop trying to, to justify 
and, and, and commit their heart and, and confess their sins to you, Lord, I pray that that would take place today. Lord, that you would, you would work on their heart and you would uh, bring conviction through the Holy Spirit that they would cry out to you and ask for forgiveness of their sins. Lord, we thank you uh, for all that you've done, Lord, or for all of the miracles that we've seen. Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do for us in the future. Lord, I pray that today we would be more like your son because we were here. We ask all of this in your beautiful name. Amen.